there, everybody. Uh, welcome to this edition of Wait a Week Mystery. I'm your host, author, J.C. Bodden, uh, and we're going to be listening to another chapter from Someone to Watch Over Me. Um, that book is the first in the Devlin O'Quinn Mystery Series. And uh, if you really like what you're hearing and decide you can't wait a week for the next installment, Someone to Watch Over Me, as well as my other books, are available on Amazon in both Kindle and paperback format. So if you check out my website, jcbodden.com, that's J-C-B-O-D-D-E-N.com, you can find more information as well as the link to my Amazon page. So let's not wait any longer. This is episode 112, Someone to Watch Over Me, chapter 12, Rescue Again. Jenny's Story. The familiar dream had changed. Instead of water closing over my head, it was blood. Instead of a young boy at my side, it was Joe, reaching down from above. I tried to grab him, but my hand kept slipping out of his. I called to him, but his head was turned, and I knew he couldn't hear me. I made one more lunge and felt his fingers close around mine. Then I woke, gasping, drenched with sweat, and nearly falling off the couch. Still shaky, I climbed into bed to see if I could get any more sleep. After a restless hour, I gave up trying, got up, and made a pot of coffee. I opened my laptop to check my email and read the news. The sky was changing to pink with morning, and the silence of the dorm was broken with a crash of breaking glass. I jumped, spilling my coffee down the front of my nightshirt. Damn! My view of the porch from my window was blocked by the roof, but I saw someone dash around the corner of the building and disappear. My heart raced as I crammed on my shoes and hurried toward the lobby. I tiptoed down the stairs, surprised that the sound of breaking glass hadn't stirred any other residents. On the landing, I stooped to look, not sure what to expect. For a split second, I pictured the attack from last night, and my stomach nodded. But the lobby was empty, and I crept down the stairs to, to where I could see what had happened. The window pane just to the right of the front door had been broken out by a red brick, which now lay on the lobby floor. There was broken glass scattered all around the window. Whoa, came a voice at my elbow. Gasping, I turned around. Samantha stood beside me dressed in a t-shirt and panties. God, you scared me. Did you see what happened? No, I heard a crash. I thought a chandelier had fallen. Instinctively, we both looked up at the high ceiling. All four light fixtures were still in place. What now? Samantha asked, yawning. I'll call campus police. Wow, four times in 24 hours. Those people are going to think I'm nuts. I climbed the stairs, remembering my damaged phone. I would have to call from the room phone. Samantha followed. Did you say four times? Yeah, I'll explain later. You going to call the cute guy that was here yesterday? I'm just going to call the office. I don't know who they'll send out. Samantha yawned again. If that's all the excitement for now, I'm going back to bed. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. It was just some vandalism. I'll talk to you later. No, it's not an emergency, I told the campus police dispatcher, who assured me that a patrol car would be by in a few minutes to check things out. While I was waiting, I got dressed so I could talk to the officer in my clothes instead of my coffee-stained nightshirt. My hair was not going to be as easy to fix. I pulled it up in a messy bun and made it back down to the lobby just as the campus police car, flashing lights but no siren, was pulling up outside. 
The officer who climbed out was an older man, not Carrie Wagner, and I let out the breath I had been holding. I unlocked the door and stepped out onto the porch. Hello, officer. I'm Jenny O'Quinn, resident advisor. Well, hello, Miss O'Quinn. I'm Jerry Duncan. I've known your daddy since before you were born. What happened here this morning? I was having some coffee when I heard breaking glass. I looked out the window and saw someone running around the corner. When I came downstairs, I saw the damage. The brick that did this is on the floor inside. Officer Duncan inspected the window. There's a footprint here, he said, pointing to the soft ground. These front doors locked? Yes, they get locked on the weekends at 2 a.m. and unlocked in the morning at 7. And all the residents have keys? Yes, they're supposed to carry them all, all the time. Of course, some of them get locked out, but they usually just call their roommates to let them in. And if they can't get their roommates, then they call you. Duncan smiled. That's right, I've probably let in five or six since the semester started. But there's no reason for one of them to try to get in by breaking a window. No, no reason at all. Okay, show me inside. Duncan looked over the damage in the lobby. Besides the broken glass and the brick on the floor, there wasn't much to see. You saw someone running around the corner of the building just after you heard the breaking glass? That's right. Which way? He went that way, I pointed, towards 5th Street. What'd this person look like? Clothes? Hat? Um, I had another flashback to the night before. He had on jeans and a dark t-shirt and a hat. A hat? What kind of hat? A blue baseball cap. Okay, Duncan thought for a moment. Here's the plan. I'm going to take a picture of two or two of that footprint. Then I'm going to drive around the block a time or two, just on the wild chance that I might see someone with jeans and a blue ball cap wandering around. You're going to call the maintenance guys and get someone out here to clean up the broken glass and replace the window pane before any of these beautiful young women get their feet cut. He got a digital camera and a ruler out of his patrol car and snapshots of the footprint as well as the brick and broken glass inside. Then he put the brick in a plastic evidence bag, just in case there's any prints on it, which I doubt there will be. As he was packing up and walking back to his car, the university maintenance truck pulled up. Well, that was fast on a Sunday morning, Duncan commented. I guess when you've got a dorm full of cute co-eds, the maintenance guys don't waste any time. He winked at me and left. Joe emerged from the truck. How'd you get here so quick, I asked. I hadn't even called this in. Joe went around to the back and got his toolbox. Uh, I have my ways. Do you do everything on this campus? He hadn't even shaved. I'm on call today, he answered, as he pulled work gloves on his hands and then went to work removing the broken glass left in the sash. I got a dustpan and broom from the closet and swept up the pieces on the floor. Seems like you're always on call. He didn't answer and I realized his back was to me. I put my hand on his shoulder. What? He looked back at me. You've helped me out a lot lately. Oh, no. Yes, letting me into my office, fixing the water heaters, now the window. Last night, I shuddered involuntarily. It's, it's okay, he stammered. It's my job. I smiled. He was embarrassed. It was cute. Not last night. That wasn't anyone's job. Joe turned back to the window and didn't answer except with the deepest of blushes up his neck and across his cheeks. Joe's Story 
Sunday dinner consisted of hot dogs, hamburgers, potato salad, corn on the cob, watermelon, and homemade lemonade. As the family gathered around the picnic table on the back porch, everyone bowed their heads for grace before the meal. Jenny was sitting across the table from Joey, and as they all said amen, she looked up and caught him in his stare. Instead of making a face at him, like most other girls he had known would have, she smiled. He blushed deeply and busied himself applying mustard and pickle relish to his hot dog bun. So, Jenny, we're all waiting to hear about your adventures at camp, Tilly prompted. Jenny looked around the table and then launched in. Well, every morning we had to wake up at 7 o'clock. There was this really loud recording of Reveille over the loudspeaker. Just the scratchy part of the record would wake you up. You didn't even have to hear the trumpet. And then they would play it all over again. Everyone would groan and moan. It was really funny. Sounds like a good idea, Mickey laughed. Maybe that's how we should wake the kids up here, Tilly. What kind of activities did you have? Tilly asked. Well, we had swimming lessons every morning and then free swim in the afternoons. Jenny continued chattering through the whole meal, telling about horseback riding and archery, arts and crafts and recreation, evening programs and canoeing, paying special attention to the differences between camp and the activities of the farm. The other children listened attentively, and Tilly, Mickey, and Devlin occasionally interrupted to ask questions. Everyone laughed when she explained about the gum tree, which was an old pine tree just outside the dining hall, where campers were required to smash their chewing gum into the bark before going inside to eat. Jenny even promised to demonstrate her newfound skill at fishing the next time they went to Twin Oaks Lake. Throughout all this, Joey could not keep his eyes off Jenny. He had never seen a girl like her before. Confident and self-assured, she talked with ease in front of the whole group, even though she didn't really know everyone there. She smiled freely at everyone, including Joey, and seemed so happy and friendly. There was not a touch of malice or anger in anything she said. He thought she was the most beautiful person he had ever seen in his life. He studied the freckles that spread across her nose and her cheeks and the way her green eyes lit up as she talked. He was fascinated by her red hair, swept up in a ponytail that bounced behind her as she gestured. In the course of that one meal, at the tender age of thirteen, he fell completely and totally in love. Two days later, Jenny nearly drowned after jumping out of the fishing boat in the middle of the lake. Joey, who didn't really know how to swim very well himself, noticed her struggles and jumped in to save her. Another child, older and a better swimmer than either of them, saw what was going on and got to her first. He pulled the sobbing girl to shore as Tilly and Mickey gathered around. Joey, soaking wet from head to toe, stood shaking from cold and fear. That night, Joey's father, who had been located in Macon, about three hours away, came to pick him up and take him there to live. That concludes this week's chapter of Someone to Watch Over Me. Thanks for listening. To find out what happens next, please come back for our next episode or visit jcbodden.com to order the book. Either way, I hope your wait is a happy one.